Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis. Well, we're continuing on in this place of the gospel with the poor. Didn't Danielle do a great job last week? I, I enjoyed it. Woo! I'm intimidated to be up here, man. Woo, it's so good. I don't have a baby prop or nothing. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Woo. I just thought, man, just bring a baby up every time. I think it would go better, as long as the baby didn't cry, but I think that would be my problem, all right? But anyway, so, you know, as we we're talking about this, one thing I'd say about this title, when you hear the word poor, I've been a pastor for a long time, I've read the Bible, I know what the Bible means by that, but when I hear the word poor, lots of things go through our mind. So I'm going to just start with just, again, re- going back a little bit and saying, what do we mean when we talk about the poor? And so I just wrote out something, it may not be perfect, but maybe it'll help us get in the camp a little bit more. Who are the poor and marginalized? Those who are at a disadvantage, often overlooked and viewed as less valuable and are treated unfairly, oppressed, or exploited by others. Some examples would be those who are without housing or food or resources to meet their needs, those who are unprotected and are treated unjustly. Examples might be those who are without financial resource support, you know, children who are unprotected, orphans unprotected, widows, immigrants, refugees, prisoners, those who are sick and bedridden, those who are enslaved or oppressed, the place of elderly, those who have mental or physical disabilities. And you can kind of go on from there, right? But sometimes I wanted to kind of expand that to get a heart more for when it talks about the poor, it talks about lots of people in this category. And so, uh, and I hope that will become more clear as we go through, because there's quite a range of what that means. And, uh, and God is so emphasizing that, and that's why we want to emphasize it as a church. You know, the thing about this whole thing of gospel with the poor, you know, it couldn't be couldn't it just be the gospel with everybody, <laughs> right? Why is, that's, what's, that's biblical. We're supposed to bring the good news of Jesus, bring the love of Jesus to every person. And, uh, but what we see quite often with Jesus is in his ministry model, I and mean, whoever has the greatest need, he seems to focus on pretty quick, right? And that's just natural, right? If it's just the way we look. At, if we see somebody right here collapses, Paying attention to that person a little bit more than I am you, Bobby, because you look healthy, right? I mean, the way Jesus looks is just natural love of still loving all people, but he focuses particularly those who are in greatest need. And so as you think about this, um, this, place of, of, this place of greatest need is like, you know, the word with, what we understand is this is what Jesus did. He, he didn't come from a superior position but he made himself the servant, as Daniel talked about, and came down with us, right? If you want to love, you have to get with people. You don't do it from a superior position. And we see Jesus modeling that. And so the thing about this is that, uh, you know, these, this is a way of seeing. What we want out of this series is to us to not just have things that we do differently. We want to start seeing everything differently. This is our, whole, our hope in this series. So I want to start with a video. I hope Paul has that video. And we'll turn on the lights a little bit. I'm going to watch a video, and then I'll come back in just a second here. And this video, I like it because it's showing this place of seeing people that are right in front of you in a different way and noticing who needs to be seen.
college bell rings at Boca High in Boca Raton, Florida. 3,400 kids spill into the courtyard and split into their social groups. But not everyone gets included. As we first reported last March, here at Boca High and at schools across the country, someone always sits alone. It's not a good feeling, like you're by yourself, and that's something I, I don't want anybody to go through. Dennis Esteban is a Haitian immigrant. When he came here in first grade, he says he felt isolated, especially at lunch. Now he's popular, but he has not forgotten that first grade feeling. To me, it's like if we don't try and go make that change, who's going to do it? So with some friends, Dennis started a club called We Dine Together. We Dine. Together. We Dine. Together. We Dine. Together. Their mission is to go into the courtyard at lunchtime to make sure no one is starving for company. Dennis. I'm new here. You're new here? When did you first come here? For new kids especially, the club is a godsend. This is Gabriel. Gabe, how you doing? Since it started last year, hundreds of friendships have formed. Some very unlikely. You're probably meeting kids you never would meet on the football team. Ever. <laughs> Jean Maxmaridou actually quit the football team, gave up all the perks that come with it, just so he could spend more time with this club. I don't, I don't mind not getting a football scholarship. This is what I really want to do. Just imagine how different your teenage years would have been. What's your name? If the coolest kids in school all of a sudden decided you mattered. We'll get to know each other better. It obviously takes a lot of empathy to devote your lunch period to this. Yes. Either that or first-hand experience. I went from coming from a school that I always had friends to coming to where I had nobody, so. Club member Allie Seeley transferred a few years ago. She says with no one to sit next to, lunch can be the most excruciating part of the day. I think it's really unfair. It's honestly an issue. Meeting someone who actually cares and, lis and listens to what you have to say really makes a difference. And that could happen at lunch. That could happen at our club. Since we first told this story, Dennis has graduated from high school, but not from this mission. Starting on club at your school. He's now traveling the country, opening We Dine Together chapters at other schools, 15 so far, with more than 100 slated for the new year. And if we're lucky, when he's done showing kids how to make outsiders feel accepted. Yeah, I'll be around tomorrow if you want to eat lunch together. He can teach the rest of us. You know, I, uh, as we talk about this, this place of, of what was happening there, I, I think of this verse that we've, we refer to quite a bit during this series. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. You know, I have no idea if any of those people in that club were Christians, but they were catching on to a truth on how we're designed to be in a place in which that those who are marginalized, those who sat alone, they saw them, they went and didn't come from a top-down point, but came along saying, I know that's what you feel like. And in humility and with kindness, they acted justly. <laughs> now, and as I look at this, I, I recognize that, uh, you know, 
Today, what I want to talk about is I want to talk about this thing of how do we do that as far as Jesus and the way that Jesus lays out. How is it that we actually begin seeing those people who God is showing us that we are to go into love? How do we, how do we see life through that lens as we go through this teaching? And so those, and I, I use this term, I, I don't know if Danielle uses this or not, but feeling less than. For those people who feel less than, for lots of different reasons that we listed before, but the, how do we spot them? And, and understanding that when we start seeing this way, it can all the way go from a place in which that you have a person who's not sitting, sitting by, themselves, by themselves in a lunchroom, by them, feeling isolated and less than, all the way on the other spectrum to an orphan who is starving and feeling less than, and everything in between, right? And understanding it's, it's a way that we are to, to live life. And so, as we look at this, I call today in everything and everyone, because when we look at Jesus' model for how he lived, what you notice, everything he did he saw people, no matter what the, the, the agenda was, whether he's just traveling or stopping to the kids or having a meal or having a conversation, he always saw everyone, and, and, and he did this thing to every person. He loved them. And so, as we look at Jesus' life, we see that, you know, regardless of the circumstances, he always was doing this. All, it was just a way he lived life. It wasn't something he went and did. It was how he saw and lived life. The second thing is that he did it to, for every, uh, he did it, uh, to everyone. I mean, to the place that he didn't just stay with his close friends and his people who were like him, and he always was going to the people who would not be natural for him and often got a lot of trouble for that. It says he would uh, be hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors paying attention to children who were being pushed away, or finding himself in a place where he just, you know, struck up a closeness with a naked guy in a graveyard that was cutting himself with stones, right? Places that he would just think, I want to go there. And we see the same way of him going to the people who were poor, who actually were sick. And back in that day, if you're sick and you're lame and you're blind, you were poor. <laughs> if you're a widow, you're poor. So all these people that he would approach, and he did all the time. Think about this. Even hanging on the cross and looking at the crowd, he's thinking, how can I love these people? And he prays, God, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. I mean, it's just everywhere and with every uh, person. So this verse is pretty familiar. In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. We talk about this a lot. We talk about the place in which that this is everywhere through Scripture. Love God with all your heart and love what your neighbors yourself. You look at in Romans, it says almost exactly the same thing. You want to figure out how to do all these commands? Here's what you need to do. It's all summed up in one command. Love your neighbors yourself. Think about who those people are and treat them the way that you want to be treated. Now, of course, this is very popular. This would be the golden rule, right? They're actually, what's interesting is it's something that's actually within most religions. You'll see this, and, you know, Confucius said something like that as well in, in 500 B.C. 
But if you look, there's also, it's referred to as a silver rule, because it's not quite, there's a few religions that it's really to protect people from harm. Don't harm people, right? Don't harm them. If you, don't, if you want to be harmed, don't harm them. But there we, we see, even in many other religions, is this place of understanding this principle that when we treat others as we want to be treated, that sums things up, right? And so when Jesus says this, but he says it in the, in the most golden rule, but it is a profound statement. That's why you probably, many of you may not even read the Bible, but you say, oh, I know that one. I've heard that one, the golden rule. This is, and it's most known through Jesus' teaching. But if you think about this, this is a pretty big statement that this sums it all up. To just look at a person and treat them as you would want to be treated. And that's pretty powerful to say that's, it's all summed up in that. You know, it's interesting. I have quoted this verse so many times. Because everybody, right? How many people has not quoted the golden rule sometime in their life? Everybody here, right? I guess everybody, right? And maybe you didn't know it was from Jesus, mainly, but it's from other people, but it's from Jesus. And so if you think about that, what's interesting is, I mean, I'm actually quite embarrassed to say this, but being the humble person I am, no, just teasing you, uh, but... I have never looked at this verse in context. <laughs> I just pull it out. And so I thought, oh, I should, oh, I know the rule. We should always look at a verse in context. <laughs> so I put this in context, and it's a bit surprising. The, the context is he's talking to disciples about asking for things. And so he's basically saying, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you, then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the, lo the law and the prophets. You know, as you go through this, you're reading that along, and the context is the disciples are afraid. They're afraid that they're going to be left with something bad if they do what Jesus is asking them to do. And so when I look at this, he's addressing this fear. They're basically saying, I don't know if God is good, will be good to me. Because, uh, you know, I don't know if he's going to provide me something good. If I ask for something good, I'm afraid he may give me something bad. In other words, I'm going to depend on him I need to depend on him, and I ask him for what I need, just like a child would ask, give me some good food. But instead of good food, he gives me a rock and a snake. <laughs> and he goes, that's crazy. Jesus says, wait a second. You as parents that are, you know you have mistakes, and you don't do right, and you have evil in you, you understand you give good things to your children. I'm a perfect father. I'm going to flood you with good things, and anything you ask, I'll give that you need. I will give everything you need. So if you look at it in context, really what's happening here, I believe, is the disciples are considering continuing to go down this road and follow the way Jesus loves people. All these people he's loving, they're watching, and they know when he keeps saying the same things over and over, like, this is what he's wanting me to do. And I think what they're thinking is, I have a feeling I'm afraid to do that. Do you guys relate? You know, I, um, as I look at it, if, if I'm honest, 
which I try to be some of the time. I always say when you say that, think, well, David, how dishonest have you been? But when I'm getting to that another level of honesty, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of very much, I think, what the disciples were afraid of. Like, uh, because I, I know a couple things. The thing about it is, it's not because I don't want this. In fact, I want to be this person who represents verse 12. I want to be that. I, I even know the power of this, right? You guys ever had it when somebody sees you like they, and, and loves you like they love themselves? They, they, they literally understand and come into that with you? I mean, as I think about that, I've had situations where people where I've been beat down, feeling less than, and someone sees me, and comes, not from top down, but comes along beside me and comes right in it with me, they're the most powerful moments of my life. I can think of them and feel it. Right? So I know this is, this is it. I know this is true, and I even want it. I mean, I, one time I was around uh, a table with some guys a long time ago, and one of the guys who knew me pretty well began taking the things that were truly weaknesses within me and just, just tearing me to shreds in the most quiet, absolute way. And I don't know if you've ever been in those kind of situations where you don't know what to say and you can't defend yourself and you don't... You, I couldn't speak. And I was like, either going to run out of the room or break down, but I didn't want to do that. I was trying to be open because all he was saying... And I was just not doing well. And a Christian friend of mine stopped him and just called him and made him stop. And he, it was literally like the bolts went towards him then. <laughs> he put himself in my position and he came in and acted justly and then stayed around and prayed for me afterwards. It was one of the most powerful moments of my life. So I'm, I'm, I'm certain this is true. But I also know something else. I know to do this, I have to do it from a place of humility and mercy. And again, if I'm honest at that next level, pride and judgment promises protection and keeping me above others. You know what I mean? And it's something that to do this to love the way verse 12 talks about is extremely vulnerable because now that person is just like you and you're at this other level. And so the thing about it is, so I say this in saying this is a very, I'm glad I read this in context because it showed me what I, why this verse is hard. Because I wonder if I'll love that person and they'll experience that, but will I be left empty with a snake and a rock? <laughs> or will I be fulfilled or not? And what Jesus is saying is, is, in this verse is, no, this is, this is where things get better. Because in this vulnerable position, what's happening is you're moving to both mercy when you had judgment and you're moving from that to mercy, and you're moving from pride to humility. And guess what? 
you've now aligned with where Jesus and where God is. He's a God of mercy, and he opposes the proud. But what does he do? He gives grace and favor to the humble. And that's why when you do this from that point of view, it doesn't drain you. It actually allows you to experience God's mercy even more. You begin understanding. You partner with him. You actually experience him. I love that in that clip of that high schooler that quit football and maybe missed his scholarship so he could join the club. <laughs> I thought to myself, I don't know what he's thinking, but he's getting on to this as a better way of living. He's, he's catching the place of this is good. This is where I'm made to be right? At a deeper level. He's experiencing and tasting what Jesus was talking about. So as we look at this verse, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. If we think about that, when, for me, a lot of my Christian life has been focused on different things that I felt were really important, which were actually really important. Learning and studying Scripture. Understand theology. Learning how to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All these kind of things that God has trained me in. And yeah, all good stuff, right? Here's the thing. If all that stuff isn't taking us to this, we're missing it. And I've missed it for a long time. I put a lot of effort into things but this simple, profound way of looking at life, that's what has to increase. The way we see people and the way we respond to them. The thing about it is, is that it applies to everything. I mean, if, if you want a life verse, <laughs> it, it may say, well, that's overstated. I, I got to get a more original one. No. This is a really good in-depth, when you understand it in the context of the kingdom of God and Jesus, this is your life verse. Uh, that I, for the rest of my life, I want to get to a place that I'm increasing in the ability to actually see people and come in and love them in the way that Jesus is talking about here. And so as you look at this, is it applies to everybody. I mean, if you want a good parenting verse, treat your children this way. <laughs> Treat your parents this way. Treat your friends this way. Treat your boss this way. Treat your coworkers, your employees. Treat your wife. Treat your husband. Treat your husband. See, see him that way. Treat him this way. And by the way, treat those who hate you, don't like you, this way. I mean, you just, every, you just apply it. Treat that person you, you meet today at dinner that way. That neighbor that way. But really, when Jesus talks about the poor and the marginalized, often sometimes our fear goes up. Like, I, you know, that's, that's a whole other level. There's not much reciprocation there. There's not much payback. But that's actually where you experience God the most. You know? And this is, is just how God sees everyone. So as we think about how do we do that, um, really... I know it's quick for an invitation, but it's a, it's a long invitation. <laughs> it's kind of like, how do we do this invitation? And kind of encouraging you to say, how do, how do we start? I mean, you can look at that and be inspired and say, how do I start doing this? So I have a couple things I think will be encouraging. When we think about that verse, which is a great verse just to have 
You probably already have it memorized, so you can say, ah, mark that off. Um, First thing I say is, this is something that's really important that you do with God, not as an assignment from God that you do on your own. You know, now I'm not saying that God's not going to give you some nudges and cause you to step out in particular areas. He may talk to you about, you know, uh, reaching out to a brand new refugee family or spending time at the homeless shelter or down at Oasis or Waymakers or sponsoring a child or donating in your car or, you know, visiting someone in prison or uh, visiting someone who's lonely in a nursing home or inviting someone to sit with you at lunch. I mean, it's the, it's the gamut, right? He may nudge you to these things, but what's really important to understand, you can't do it alone. It's not an assignment you go out and do. In fact, it is part of your relationship with God. It, you go with Him. You humbly walk with Him, and you do these things. He allows you to be able to know who to see and what to do. And so don't do this alone. Don't do it just as an assignment. Do this with God. The other thing I'd say is it's really important that to do this, you need to move closer, look deeper, and see the person as yourself. Let me break that down a little bit. If you want to do this, you have to get closer to people you wouldn't normally be close to. Because those are, that's what keeps us away, right? And so, understand, getting closer makes a huge difference. Looking deeper and seeing the person saying, I'm that person, what would I, how would I want to be treated? And to do that, though, you have to get to know the person. My brother used to talk about this time where he had sponsored a child for quite a while. I think it may have been through Compassion. And... Um, for a number of years, every month, for years, he sponsored his child growing up. And then he gets this invitation. His child actually is a real good singer, and they have an African choir, and it's going to be in a church that's within driving distance, right? It's like, oh, this is wild, you know? Didn't think much about it. After the concert, the young boy comes up to them and it breaks apart and starts calling my brother dad. And, and my brother's like, uh, I wasn't expecting this, <laughs> you know. Uh, I was just putting the money into the, in the, and is this on my, you know, I just, we just wrote the check. And they ended up spending the night at their house. And uh, he said he moved closer in that moment. And he was able then, it was a whole different deal now when he thought about this child's name. Because it's easy. The reason that God talks to us so much about remembering the poor is because we forget. It's so easy to forget when we're not around the poor. And so it has to be intentional. And because of culture, it'll be very natural for you not to get close. And the reason, and, and it's really natural for you to treat somebody as less valuable in ways that maybe you have to go a little deeper and realize, oh yeah, I do see him as less valuable than this other person. And so, to get closer, that starts helping you in that. To get deeper with a person and get to know who they are. You know, last week I was driving my car and I get this 
this number I don't recognize, really weird number, but I thought, oh, I'm bored, I'll talk to a telemarketer, I'm on Bluetooth, I need something to do. So I pick it up, and uh, it's Paul Linstead, um, Moldovia, he's, he's a pastor uh, in Moldovia, and he, he has a church that is right on the Ukraine border. He just called me to tell me what's going on. Because we, I pray for him sometimes, and he called me, and he's like, David, man, he can't. And he just starts talking. About, I just left 140, mostly women and children, who were trying to find a place for them to stay. And he starts describing the looks on their faces. He says, David, it's crazy. They don't think of themselves even as refugees at all. They're just wanting to get back to their country. And he says, he says, I just got a call from, from Denmark. They want 10,000. These kids aren't, these people aren't actually the spot. They, were, they don't even know why they're there. And their buses, they're taking them away from their husbands and they're going to Denmark. So as he started talking about this, about what's happening and everybody's putting mattresses in their houses, all of a sudden now, I can't hear the news the same. Like I, it's not a sound bite. It's not a little thing, oh, let's pray a little bit here and there. It's like all of a sudden now I'm closer. And guess what? My heart has more mercy in it. Because that's where you find it. It's when you get closer. And it makes you vulnerable. <laughs> but God comes in that place. You know, I... I had a friend of mine that in a um, small group in California, there were a bunch of young Stanford students, and they had a lot of rough stuff in their life. And the one time they just got, they just disappeared for like long, they kept disappearing for long periods of time. So being the fatherly pastor, I'm, I'm worried about them. Like, I'm going to kind of challenge them. What's going on, you know? And they wouldn't tell me. And I was like, oh, this isn't a good sign, man. I know the signs of this. They wouldn't tell me. <laughs> so finally I said, I need to know what's going on every time. And they said, well, we didn't want to tell anybody, but we're just going down to San Francisco. We dress up, we dress down in a big way. We make lots of little, we rumple the, the uh, bags and we make lots of sack of lunches. And we go and sit with other homeless people and just eat with them. And then we go to another one and we sit. And that way, they don't, they're able to have someone to talk to and not feel ashamed. They got closer, they looked deeper. I mean, do you know that most of the places of service, not always, you know, Grant, you're at McDonald's, right? I mean, but, but you got money. But there's a lot of people who are serving you who don't have money, right? And they're surviving. And we're complaining about our orders. You've got to look deeper. You've got to get close. You've got to put yourself into that person's position and start seeing like that. And finally, the thing I'd say is understand this way of seeing others is for them and it's for you. It really is. It's for both of us. It's what we're designed to be with one another. Because what you will find is when you go to this vulnerable spot and begin allowing mercy 
to well up and you humble yourself and come and see that person as yourself, you are realizing, yep, they're just like me. And you all of a sudden understand God's mercy for you in a way you couldn't have without doing that. It puts you in a place to not just bless them and allow them to see mercy. It allows you to see mercy and to experience mercy in that same way.